Let us open God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5 as we have had this beautiful reading together of Ephesians chapter 2 and something of the glory of the gospel coming to us of how being dead in our sins and trespasses, but God in His great love has made us alive in Christ. And certainly as we come to this passage, I would ask that uh, you think of how beautiful it is that there is a Uh, The connection between singing, reformation, and revival. Those things do come together in a beautiful way in this passage. Uh, A hymn that I thought of uh, from this passage, one that we sing often at Cornerstone, has these words. uh, Come, young and old from every land, men and women of the faith, come, those with full or empty hands, Find the riches of His grace. Over all the world His people sing. Shore to shore we hear them call the truth that cries from every age. Our God is all in all. And I would just uh, echo this element of singing is such an important part of Christianity itself. It's almost like music and, and singing is, is almost a, the very culture that has come from Christianity and the history of God's people. Singing is part of that wonderful way that we come to know God. And it's a very powerful gift from God. And I do believe that when God reforms His church or brings re- awakening to His church, that it becomes a singing church. And there is a joy there that we become a singing church. We're so filled with His Spirit that we cannot but sing of what He has done for us. There is a joy there within us. Even those of us who can't sing, we sing. Because God has worked in our hearts and we must sing forth His joy and praise. Uh, And I believe if you find the riches of His grace that we read of, In Ephesians 2, then you cannot help but sing of that joyful salvation that God has given to you. Our God is all in all. Let's bow and ask for his blessing upon the reading of his word. Our Father, we realize that all the workings and study and even praying without your coming to bless your word and causing us to have ears to hear, we are here and it's but a ritual, but a pattern to repeat. And we pray, O God, you would give us, give to me, not only words to say, but ears to hear afresh as you would give ears to everyone here. We would hear this wonderful note of singing and reformation and revival. I pray, O oh God, you'd work in our hearts and lives and even loosen our tongues that we would sing more for your glory as we would hear that commandment. Be with us now as we hear your word, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, of course, is this great passage that's so very uh, Uh, direct to us about certain sins as the first part begins and it's so direct to us about sin that 
It's one of those passages that as pastors, we don't readily go there and say, aha, I'm going to preach on this. But as we come to that passage, we must preach on that. And we are humbled. And I must say, uh, just as your pastor was leading you in prayer, I was humbled just as you have this wonderful gathering of God's people here. What a privilege to be here. And so as we, uh, as we come to this passage, I would ask that you hear the word of God, beginning with verse 15. It has this background of this little word that's uh, almost like some might call a simple little uh, hymn or ditty almost. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that's what we're asking for this morning, that Christ will shine upon us. Wake us up. Verse 15, we read, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what what the will of the Lord is. And then beginning here, verse 18, we read our text. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your, with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so these are what I believe straightforward verses about singing, about being filled with the Spirit, about having thanksgiving in our hearts. These three verses really do have to do with that question, is our singing, or better maybe, Is my singing, our music in our hearts, really important? Or is it just kind of a filler? You know, we we have certain things that I think some of our churches that really want to emphasize preaching and the great importance of preaching. Preach the Word. But it becomes such an emphasis that they kind of fill in everything else until finally preaching. The reality is, All of this coming together has great importance. Singing is not filler for the service. It is a very important part as we come. In fact, in these three verses, I would ask you to notice verse 18 has to do with the filling of the Spirit that comes to us, first of all, in this singing. And then verse 19, the music of the Spirit singing. Ignore this cause this to be filler it's a very important part of that worship that is filled with the spirit and then verse 20 the thanksgiving of the spirit of god i believe again this is an important part of any real reformation in christ church or that of revival in christ church so we come and uh I would emphasize how important this is with verse 18, the filling of the Spirit. Now, 
certainly sometimes that expression, that, that way of thinking has kind of become almost something of uh, many of the churches in, in different parts of our land, our country, and especially in Latin America where we travel a lot. There's such what we'd almost call a wildfire. They're filled with the Spirit and there's almost a loss of control. And it's like something that just becomes wild. But if we look closely at this passage, it starts off by saying, don't get drunk on wine. Don't lose all control. Don't be under the influence of wine. Now, uh, certainly among Christians, there's emphasis. Some have that there would be a complete abstinence and there's others that would have this and that and the other, but there's one thing that's very clear in God's word. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament and different passages, drunkenness is a sin. Very clear. Whatever culture, whatever background, whatever kind of exegetical workings someone does with the Bible and all their different workings, drunkenness is always a sin. In fact, it says it leads to debauchery. It's kind of one of those words you can almost feel, debauchery. It has a, a certain almost feeling to it, doesn't it? Debauchery. That's in contrast to something else. It's interesting. There's a passage in, I think, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is the great expositor in the English language of the last century, Dr. Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor, part of almost the, uh, the elite part of medicine in, in London. And before he went into the Christian ministry, he was under Lord Horder, who was the Queen's surgeon. He had an important position as a very young man, had already had uh, bastante, uh, a, a great deal of, uh, of knowledge as far as recognition that he had among different ones. They looked to him already as a diagnostician. He speaks of how alcohol, wine, in the pharmaceutical books, it's classified as a depressant because first there might be something of a stimulation, but as one would drink more, it's a depressant. <laughs> and then he speaks in how if we would put the Holy Spirit in that same book, he would be listed as one who is a stimulant. He is the one who stimulates us as Christians. Don't be under the, Im the influence of that which would be a, a downer, but be under the influence and be filled with the Spirit of God who is a, one who stimulates us. So there is this very important contrast that's given to us here in verse 18. This wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. He fills us. And we can speak of that first that there is a control in the Holy Spirit. Not something of a trance or something where one loses control, but there is being under the control of the Holy Spirit who is within us. Colossians is what we have, Colossians chapter 3, is considered the parallel passage. And some of these parallel passages help us. There's like what it said here, and then you go to a parallel passage, and it helps us understand and explain the other passage. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, if you turn there, it speaks, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This passage has those same concepts. They run parallel to one another. That being filled with the Spirit is having the Word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Having the Word of Christ control your very life. To be in the innermost part of who you are. The Spirit of God to be there. And then notice also, I think, in this verse, what does this filling do? It, in one sense, it stimulates us. It raises our sensibilities to the words of Christ. That word of Christ dwells in our hearts richly. It stimulates us. So it's not only a factor of control, but it stimulates how we are and think. And the word of Christ in us is a wonderful thing as it points us to the work of Christ and who he is as one that it's the Holy Spirit points us to. And then third, the effects of the control is that filling of the Holy Spirit. We had reference in one of the prayers already of love and joy and peace and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Have you heard that somewhere? Does it remind you of something? There's that fruit of the Spirit of God in us as Christians. What an amazing thing that we have this wonderful work of God in us. Do that in me. I need that in my everyday life. When things aren't running like I want them to be, I need this element of the fruit of the Spirit, this wonderful thing that the Holy Spirit alone can do in our lives. Then look at verse 19. It has to do with singing. It has to do with a a response that's very practical. It's personal, yes, and it's on purpose that's there. In fact, what's the longest book in the Bible? The Psalms, it's the book that's given to us to pray and to sing this wonderful book. It's the longest book of the Bible, and maybe there's a reason for that. We have a lot to learn how to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. And the Psalms give us this rich background of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is constantly with the Psalms on his lips. They are his words, his praying from the very time early arriving to the temple, all through his ministry. The psalms are on his lips. There he is on the cross. The psalms are on his lips. Jesus praying with the psalms. Much for us to learn there. And so when we come to verse 19, what does it say? If you look at those words 
and have them jump at you a bit. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and make, making melody to the Lord with your heart. So there's an element there that's very important for us. What is this singing, the music of the Spirit? As we would think of the filling of the Spirit. Now there's the music of the Spirit would be our second point, second verse here that we're looking at. And there, certainly when we speak of the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, if you're careful in reading your Bible, you know that the psalms have little titles above them. Many of them do. And they have those very titles that are given here, whether you go to the Greek translation from the Hebrew, what we call the Septuagint, it has the very words that Paul uses here in Ephesians 5.19, or the Hebrew has that element of a psalm, a stringed instrument song. It has these very words are speaking and pointing us to the psalm. But it's not something that we would exclusively sing only the psalms, but we should be singing and praying and learning from the psalms. But at the same time, we find in the New Testament new songs. And they sang a new song. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Or you find that wonderful passage in Philippians 2 speaking to us of Christ. A new song in one sense. It gives us something, the fullness of God's revelation and completion of redemption in Jesus. So yes, it's not exclusively the Psalms, but there is an importance to those Psalms as they're fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice the music that I believe is spoken of here of the church. Certainly all of this is very personal. In our personal lives, we learn to sing. Some of us who aren't able to carry a tune, at least as others would enjoy it, we have the privilege, though, of coming together as a corporate body and having those who are gifted lead us in singing, and we sing together as the people of God. What a joy. And I would ask you to notice very carefully these words. Is it just to God alone that we sing? What does it say? Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Now, there is an element here that is horizontal, very important. Sometimes we so emphasize solo Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Yes! But even as we sing one to another, that's for God's glory. But it's an important part that we don't leave out this horizontal element. I think we have to work at it. Sometimes maybe even together a little closer together. Or in our, our uh, building we had to spend about, oh, I think it was a full three months to scrape all the cotton. They had sprayed cotton on top of the building where we sing. And even with when there'd be a large gathering, we still didn't have a way of almost hearing ourselves sing. And so we had to scrape that off in order to be able to hear ourselves sing. 
when you hear this one over here singing and someone over here singing, and then there's somebody behind me that sings really well with some power. Wow, I start singing because I can join with all these voices. And you know why we're singing? Because we encourage one another. It's a great way also to make known the gospel. Singing. I read of a a dear lady whose whole background was so messed up. Her mother was an atheist. There was all kinds of lesbian background and a mess that's just so convoluted. You hardly don't, you don't really want to talk about it or read about it. It's just a mess. But as her mother, as an atheist, was dying, she kept on singing, singing. And finally, this mother in her weakness, ah, maybe I'm so weak now I can believe this stuff, this junk you've been believing. Tell me more about Christ. And yes, people do come to know the Lord on their deathbed. Singing is a powerful work that God has given to us. It's part of this music of the Spirit to speak to another, one another. It has to do with teaching, evangelizing, encouraging, calming, enjoying the Lord. There is a beauty to this. You know, as we want to learn good doctrine, uh, I don't want to do this because it would probably be embarrassing, but I can do it, I guess, towards, towards myself here. But I can sometimes try to remember, what did I preach on three weeks ago? Hmm. Nancy, do you remember? No, I don't really remember. It was but you know what? We go home singing. We remember these things. How important it is to have good lyrics, good doctrine with our music. To be careful with all those things. The early church, when there were errors, what we would call Arianism, believing that, yes, Jesus was great, but he was just the greatest of all creation. He wasn't very God of very God. And those who had good doctrine, one of the tools they used was to write some hymns that had to do with the deity, the full deity of Jesus Christ. And then they would gather the people as choirs, the whole congregation, and teach them these hymns. And then when they would come together to sing, when everybody else, the public, came, they were teaching sound doctrine. May God give us grace, wisdom, voices to sing with sound doctrine. So I believe this is something of great importance to learn how we can sing truth together because though you may not remember what is preached two weeks ago or three weeks ago if you've learned these hymns there'll be something there in your your place of work it'll be going around in your mind or you'll be singing it under your breath it'll be something that's teaching you good doctrine there's a hymn that has meant a lot to me in these days I don't know are you familiar with this hymn not in me it's called uh, no list of sins what a powerful hymn let me read a little of this to you i won't sing it for you Amen. no list of sins i have not done <laughs> how often our self-righteousness no no list of sins i have not done no list of virtues i pursue no list of those i am not like 
can earn myself a place with you. Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you. Here is the gospel of grace. Wow, great stuff. Our tendency to self-righteousness as Christians, where somehow or another we haven't done those sins, somehow or another we're better than those or them. Oh, may God teach us His truth. No humble dress, no fervent prayer, no lifted hands, no tearful song. And then he has these words, no recitation of the truth can justify a single wrong. It's got to be more than orthodoxy. It needs to be that we know God. We've experienced the reality of Christ's righteousness. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by Him, and He alone can give me rest. What great stuff. Horizontally, we're speaking and teaching one another when we sing. No separation from the world, no work I do, no gift I give can cleanse my conscience, cleanse my hands. I cannot cause my soul to live But Jesus died and rose again. The power of death is overthrown. My God is merciful to me and merciful in Christ alone. And then it has this tag. It says, my righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by him and he alone can give me rest. Yes, He alone can give me rest. The horizontal is very important. But I believe there's also what we would call a vertical element of our singing. Not exclusively horizontal. It's vertical. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. We are in His presence. It's not to be something that's merely ritualistic, kind of, that we've done it so many times, or somehow another perfunctory, or, as we mentioned earlier, just filler. Hmm. Filler. It is to be unto the Lord, our singing. In your heart, God is the audience that we need to have the reality that as we sing, just as when we hear the Word of God, we're in God's very presence. I remember well uh, when my these grandchildren's mother was in the home and also our other children actually. Uh, we were invited when I was pastoring there in, in Mesa, Arizona to what's called Venture Out for a Thanksgiving service on Thanksgiving morning and there was about 1,200 people. I always remember this gathering of all these people gathered around and there up above was this huge, I guess we'd call it a ceiling Uh, opening almost like God was watching upon all of us as we worshiped and we need to have something of that in our minds that as we come together to worship God is watching God is here God's presence we are praising him the Psalms speak of this turn with me to Psalm 95 how powerful this is Psalm 95 
verse 1, just to read part of it there. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. And then it goes on. He is so wonderfully great. Or as we would think of how he lives upon his very praises. Turn back a few Psalms. Psalm, well, I guess it's quite a few. Psalm 22, verse 3, has this interesting expression. I believe it's in this version. It has this. Let's see. You are holy. Psalm 22, verse 3. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Isn't that an interesting Almost uh, something that gathers in your mind. He's enthroned upon the praises of his people. There's a, a beauty to seeing God being praised. Can you do that half-heartedly? <laughs> Can you love half-heartedly? I sometimes get in a little trouble. I don't probably, one of those things, we're a little bit informal, I think, here in Cottonwood, but uh, hopefully... Uh, sometimes just to annoy my wife a little, I try to kiss her on the forehead. She, she, boy, I get a reaction right away, you know. Don't do that. You have to love with all your heart. It's not something that you got to do. It's not just an obligation. It's something that comes to you and you join in to praise God because of what He has done. There is this wonderful work of God that comes to us and that we are to be those who aren't half-hearted in praising Him. Half-hearted love. We would be well to pray, Oh God, deliver me. Deliver me from half-hearted singing. May I worship and love. It can't really be half-hearted if it's love. If it's real praise. God, deliver us from that perfunctory kind of ritualistic worship. One more verse. Verse that's there before you, verse 20. And there I would see the thanksgiving of the Spirit of God. This filling of the Spirit results in something that permeates all that we are. Our singing and our very way of thinking and talking becomes something of thanksgiving. Notice verse 20. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's kind of something almost natural about most all of us is we kind of grumble around. Isn't it true? Or we murmur when we drive. What's he doing in my way? Hey, get out of my way. You know, or uh, I think uh, we referred earlier to, uh, to uh, those who live in uh, Mexico City. There's like uh, 25 million. I think there might be 50 million cars because to try to get from this point to that point, it is chaos. And you can drive around with someone who is always upset about all those people in their way. May God give us lives that aren't constantly, that person's in my way, that didn't go like I wanted, I'm upset about this, I'm upset about that. There's something of the wrong spirit about all that. The filling of the spirit, yes, in our singing, it will affect 
even how we deal with those things that are in our way. Those real deep problems of real life. Family breakups and divorces and difficult things that just are all part of everyday real life. How do we deal with those things? For everything, thanksgiving. Now is that literally how thankful I am that so-and-so got into adultery or how thankful for this car wreck and five people were killed or something of that nature. That's not what we're speaking of here. That's not what the text is really speaking. But there's a sense in which, yes, as we would pray in Jesus' name, as we would pray under the our very submission to the Lord, that we know that he has all these things in his hands and there's a very purpose to those most, most difficult things that we can't even explain what those purposes are. God has a purpose in our lives. That situation that leaves someone maimed for life and we can't understand the why of that. They had young children at the time. They were going through just the very most important part of their whole life and this changes everything. Why? And it's 20, 30, 40, 50 years later and we look back and we say, there was a purpose. God had a purpose in your life and in mine. We may never understand fully, but we see something of why. God is there with a purpose. So then when we look at this passage, we don't thank God for some earthquake that 900 people died, but we know that even in that we can thank God He has a purpose in this. And that in His sovereignty He is doing that work of grace and bringing others to Christ. We weep with those who weep. We are joyful with those who are in joy. There is something here that of His will and His way there is purpose. Even when the world or the evil one means it for our destruction. God brings all these things together for our good as we're called according to his purpose as we love him. But notice also, and I think this is important, thanksgiving for God's grace is something that is very personal. And I would, uh, with just a few minutes that we have here, uh, speak of something of history. You know, France was uh, a nation that needed the gospel so greatly. And one of the things that we have in the 16th century is that wonderful testimony of, of how hundreds of missionaries were trained there in Geneva. And then they were sent forth to France, back from, from Geneva, Switzerland, back into France. But if you know the history, it is a very difficult thing because... Thousands of them were martyred. There was something extraordinary in this. Uh, John Calvin personally trained and taught and shepherded and loved many, many of those young men who were sent back to France. There were five of them, young men that had been his personal students. They were sentenced to die for their preaching in France. And he writes a letter to them shortly before they were burned at the stake. And uh, 
he writes something of the nature of how thankful to God. And he says, quote, God will not suffer a single drop of your blood to be in vain. And I think it is good for us to realize there are things we can't explain the why of happen in our lives, happen in what we would speak of, the preaching of the gospel, going to different nations. We can't explain those things. Or before this time, there was a man by the name of John Huss. Someone spoke, I think, of their last name being with a Polish background here in the church. And there is a background of in Poland, the Reformation. John Huss, the the way in which he testified to the gospel of Christ and then he was condemned and then maybe some of you have seen the film on his life it ends with those words on the screen of July the 6th 1415 he died singing son of David have mercy upon me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The Reformation was a singing church. There's a book that I read. In fact, it's the only book I've ever read twice in one day. Uh, we were in Florida having done a missions conference and... and uh, uh, we try to get one of these really inexpensive hotels the night before to catch a flight coming back to wonderful Arizona. And uh, it was not a good one. Um, won't go into the details of that hotel room, but uh, wow, it wasn't a place to sleep. <laughs> so I was given this book called Sing. And I'd recommend it to you. Sing. And I read through it from about two to five, whatever it was, and got up and got situated, got off to the airport, got on the plane, and it was one of the books I still had in my satchel there and pulled it out, and I started reading it again. Read through the whole book on the plane. Doesn't take you long to read. It convicted me of not singing because no one wants to hear me sing. Many times I'm the one to preach after the singing, so I'm back kind of thinking and, and uh, all this and, and the burden of, of of preaching is upon me and I'm thinking of these truths and so quite often, especially in Latin America, I'm in the back kind of walking about and I was convicted by God that I need to be singing, praising God. I'm not to be excluded from the congregation. I'm to be part of that. And maybe you're here. You need to, yes, I'm going to sing with joy in my heart because Christ has redeemed me. Whatever else I've done, I'm a child of the King. Sing. There is a joy to that. And certainly, whether it was Luther and his 38 hymns that he wrote, I would just uh, encourage you to, to sing. To sing. Enter into that element. Uh, I think it was Francis Schaeffer that spoke of the Geneva Jigs. <laughs> and whatever that was all about, there's uh, controversy about that, where these... Uh, the music came from and all this, but uh, people were singing. Paul Gerhardt, one of the great German hymnists, tremendous words of his hymns. 
we have something that's taken place in our day. Back, I would say, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, in through there, a lot of those who were writing contemporary music had come out of the music world and suddenly become celebrities in the Christian world too quickly, and they didn't have good theology, and a lot of what they wrote was fluff, filler. But we have those today who are writing good stuff, like what we were singing earlier. Like what I quoted to you earlier, there's great theology being written with carefulness because these people who are writing these new hymns and songs are those who've had good theological training and they're giving us good, solid things to sing and praise God with. And don't forget the Psalms. So we have much to do in our day. Be praying for those who lead your music, praying for those who play the instruments, praying for those that we don't just do it in some way that uh, it's filler today, filler time. No, this is important. Part of the filling of the Spirit is that we would sing horizontally to encourage one another, to teach one another, but also vertically that we would have him enthroned with our praises that it really is worship that we enter into and praise him. Let me close with a quote. I want to encourage you with a, uh, something that uh, I think is so practical, and that is to uh, read the Psalms and sing the Psalms and learn these great hymns and sing together. One of the things that happens in busy lives, and there's probably not any real busy lives here in Cottonwood, but what has happened is we get an exhortation to have devotions for an hour together, and it's great. We do it, and we did it again the second day, but third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, suddenly life is going so fast that what happened to those great plans? I'd recommend you to get uh, one I would encourage you is Paul David Tripp's book, New Morning Mercies, outstanding. And this one uh, that's called uh, The Songs of Jesus, you'll read through the Psalms in the year. And uh, just a very brief uh, portion of the Psalms. And then it has a paragraph on that. And then after that, you have just a little brief prayer. Let me read this to you, though, this, uh, this word on Psalm 81, verses 1 through 4. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the timbrel. Play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon. And when the moon is full on the day of our festival, this is a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. That's the psalm. And then the little comment he has on this. The command to rejoice. The very strength of this call to worship raises questions. We are not merely invited, but commanded as a decree and as a statute to worship God with joy. How can we rejoice to order. And then 
he refers to Ephesians 5.19, tells us to use skillful music, to immerse ourselves in the Psalms themselves, and to learn how to turn our hearts to God in gratitude moment by moment during the day. Also, we are commanded to meet regularly with one another for public worship, and we should not neglect this. Are you rejoicing in God? Is there singing in your heart horizontally and vertically as a Christian who has been saved by amazing grace? Let us pray. Father, it is amazing grace that you would save us, that you would give us eternal life. We ask, O oh Lord, you would tune our hearts to sing your praise. Forgive us, Lord, for not singing with greater joy. Forgive us for singing with cold hearts. Forgive us for not singing at all. O oh Lord, tune our hearts to sing with all our strength that Christ may be glorified in our midst that others who would come would be amazed these people really do worship him and love him look how they sing together give us that love for one another for we pray in Jesus name Amen